You are listening to Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk with authors and ghost hunters Stephen Lancaster and Rick Hale. She's alive. Hey guys, on this episode, we are discussing drugs and alcohol. Should we use them on investigations? Should we use them at all? Who's doing this? We're going to find out today. Then we're going to search the Australian outback for a living dinosaur. That's right, my friends. And we're not talking about Jurassic World. It's going to be the Jurassic initiative today and on weird news we'll learn about a tattoo artist who gives his female patrons a little too much service down south if you know what i'm saying plus some other weird stories because if you guys know rick he's bringing them all and we'll end it with a brand new ghost watch on this week's shadow initiative paranormal talk program is for adult audiences only and welcome one and all to another shadow initiative paranormal tv and talk or talk and tv we are your hosts ghost hunters and authors i'm rick hale he's Stephen lancaster and he's already said it all at the top of the show what it is that you could be looking forward to today um but you know what Stephen? it's not just drug use and alcohol use uh-oh uh, you know for you know unlike investigations, there's a lot that there's a lot of people out there, different kinds of people, some of them weird. And I think you really, really have to uh, be careful about who you invite into your home. to yes. investigate. In. Yes, I agree. And I love this topic because I guarantee you, those of you out there listening probably don't even think about this. And I, I guarantee you that 98% of the paranormal teams operating out there in the real world, mm-hmm. they're probably not going that extra step. Yeah. And we're going to talk about why this is important. Exactly. So, you know, we have got a, we got an amazing show, of course, news of the weird creature of the week, wrapping it all up with ghost watch. It's going to be, uh, another fantastic show. So, Stephen, hey, man, what is new in uh, Stephen Lancaster land? Stephen Lancaster land is in talks with movie land uh, about possibly doing a Norman the Doll flat out horror flick. Like I've, I've talked to this um, producer before. And we kind of talked about a documentary and, you know, the documentary thing kind of travel channels kind of already done that right you know what i mean but to to create a balls to the wall i mean you you know look at what they did with annabelle annabelle doesn't even closely resemble the real story of annabelle the real 
they kind of did that with the uh, Warrens as well. Like uh, whatever it is that was going on there with the Warrens, yeah, just was not accurate by any means. I mean, the real Annabelle story is like a two second horror story at most. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's nothing to it. But we're talking to this guy. We're thinking, hey, he might want to make a flat out horror movie based on. Uh, the Norman the Doll stories. And right now he's reading the books. So there will be more to report on Norman Goes to Hollywood. <laughs> Steven, you are a big shot for sure. So, hey, in news from me, a I will be releasing a new book at the end of the month. And it is based on Ghostwatch. Uh, I've already shared the cover uh, which was done by the incredibly brilliant artist Mark Hetherington of uh, Blackpool in the in England. Uh, he's the one that has uh, done the other uh, covers for my books, and um, so it'll be available at Amazon. It'll be both available as a you know a regular book and a Kindle on, on your Kindle as well. So be on the lookout for for that at the end of the month. Yes, guys, definitely check that out. It's, you know, Rick's stuff is, and I'm not just saying this because he's my best buddy, because he knows I'll call bullshit, mm. <laughs> but Rick's stuff really is uh, unique. It's different. If you read a lot of paranormal books, you probably can agree that they all kind of follow this same format, you know, the, the, the paranormal book tropes, as I call it. And uh, Rick doesn't do that. Rick's got his own unique way of, of writing and, and telling stories. And uh, it's it's different, and I, I, you guys should really really check out his stuff. There's investigative stuff, but then there's just flat out this is what happened stuff. Right. So yeah, be on the lookout for that. And and this is something that I think that it's probably okay right now to talk about on the show. I will be writing a children's book <laughs> because our biggest audience is is, is adolescents. I don't know if you well, listeners out there knew that. Like, we kind of act like adolescents on this show from time to time. I mean, how's that going to work? You know, we've got a show that's probably banned in some countries. Probably. All of a sudden, one of the hosts is writing a children's book. That's right. Yeah. So my, my publisher asked me one day, she's like, um, would you be interested in writing a children's book? And I really had to like mull it over here and there. And my wife was like, well, you should do it. And I said to her, I'm like, hun, have you ever listened to this show? (laughs) This is not a family show by any means, but uh, you know what? I'm up to the challenge. Uh, It's because it's like my publisher said, she looked on the internet, looked on Amazon, looked all over the place. There are very few paranormal books that are geared towards kids. So I'm going to be writing a children's book that should hopefully be coming out next year sometime. I think if, if memory serves me correctly, which is very debatable nowadays, but I, I remember last year, maybe around this time, we talked about the one children's paranormal book we could find. C is mm-hmm. for Coven. Remember, it was it was, oh, well, it was yeah. a children's book about witchcraft. Hey, which is cool. I'm totally ah. what I did there. Oh my God. Yeah. So, but that's, but that's kind of cool though. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, witchcraft, uh, witches in general, it's some, it's kind of one of those, um, issues that is grotesquely misunderstood. I've never met a witch that I didn't like Steven and I've met plenty of them. Yeah. 
And, you know, I kind of wanted to say something too. you know, we were joking about, um, you know, our, our listeners and people who know us personally, uh, you know, Rick said it best. We're like the Dante and Randall of the, of the, the paranormal world. And if you guys don't know who Dante and I'm Randall are. I'm not even are, supposed to be here today. Right? <laughs> if you don't know who Dante and Randall are, you need to watch all three Clerks movies. And you guys will say, oh, yeah, that's Rick and Steven's paranormal show. <laughs> but no donkey fucking going on here. We will say no. that. We do no draw the line at bestiality. Um, but I do want to say, you know, a lot of people have this misconception before we get into the heavy topics, Rick, that mm-hmm. if you're in the paranormal field, that is who you are. And that could yeah. not be further from the truth. Like, it is surprised people like i don't want to say friends of mine but people who were following the books and stuff like that when they found out i was a musician and it's like mm-hmm. dude i've been been playing guitar and piano and all that since i was five years old yes there's more to me than just chasing ghosts right you know right. yes i like graphic design i like producing things you know rick you're the same way man you know it's you're not just the ghost guy and and right. You know, my ex-wife used to bring this up. She used to say, because I used to do a, a show called Straight Jacket Society. That was way out of hand, man. You know, me and my buddy Chris, were do- it had puppets. You probably remember some of this stuff. It was insane. Totally Puppet insane. Team. Yeah, we got banned off of certain networks, man. It, it was It was bad. It was bad. You gotta, you gotta bring it back. <laughs> we we got we got banned off of uh, Para Rock after the whole puppet suicide episode, where one of the puppets <laughs> hangs himself from a ceiling fan, the other one ODs. Yes. Yeah, it it was a bad scene. But anyway, you know, she's like, you know, you really shouldn't do that because people who follow you in the paranormal, you're gonna lose credibility. Mm-hmm. It's and you know, I don't like that kind of thinking. You know, it's like, well, if they if they don't want to trust me in the paranormal field because I make dirty jokes, mm-hmm. fuck them. Yeah, fuck them. I don't care. Some of the most intelligent people I know have a dirtier mouth than you and me. Yes. You know what I'm well, saying? They, well, they, they, they actually say that that a heavy use of swear words, you know, that intelligent people do. They're, they're more intelligent. Right. I mean, my IQ is like 225. I'm sure it is. <laughs> uh, it's like we always say, folks, we're like your third grade classroom, only less mature. So let's get with one of the heavy hitters, man. What's one of the heavy topics to get this thing rolling? So I came across this on um, in Facebook memories the other day, and I think it really fits in what we were originally going to talk about. But, you know, Stephen, you really have to watch and be careful who you let into your home to investigate the paranormal. Um, Because yes, this is a kind of like a a people heavy industry. Like you're dealing with not only investigators, but you're also dealing with, um, you know, clients as well. And, And you don't just have to be careful about who you let into your home. If you're a paranormal investigator, you also have to be careful about whose home you go into. Right. So let's start off with this. So I came across this, I think it was yesterday on, um, yeah, it was yesterday in my Facebook memories. And I had completely forgot about this, but so I'm going to just read it word for word. And then, you know, we'll discuss from there. So I wrote, be careful who you let into your house. 
yesterday, and this, this was actually put up on my Facebook page a couple of years ago. Yesterday, I put an article on my page about a so-called demonologist from Scotland who got arrested for pedophilia. Mm. As disgusting as it may seem, it is a cautionary tale to be careful who you let into your house. Over the years, I've heard a number of horror stories from colleagues and clients about ghost hunters. I've heard of investigators stealing, doing drugs, and swearing in front of their children. You don't know who you're inviting in sometimes. As it stands, there isn't anything to regulate the activity of paranormal investigators, and rightly so. Nevertheless, it is not a bad idea to research and vet the people you let in to investigate your haunting. People... Don't just hire any old plumber or a carpenter to work on their house. They research and check references. It's not a bad idea to do that with paranormal investigators. It weeds out people like this pedophile in Scotland. So, Stephen, I mean, what are we to make of something like this? It's like you do have to be careful about who you let into your home. And this family, unfortunately, learned the hard way. And the one thing that I didn't... um, didn't cover in this little part right here is it's like this pedophile was actually grooming the children of clients. That just fucking makes me sick, man. It makes me I know. sick. I know. So it's like, we, we really have to, you know, be careful about who we let into your home. Now I know that you are probably one of the most careful people or careful investigators of the paranormal. You actually do vet people and do background checks, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've used been verified. Um, and this isn't a plug for them. It's just that's what I what I used paid for a yearly subscription each year. And when somebody uh, that I didn't know personally, um, which made up about 60% of my team, I met them wanting to, you know, join the team. Uh, I did background checks on everybody, including right. myself. And it, they and this was done yearly. And it was always in a file that if a customer, I say a customer, a client wants to um, know more about, here you go. You know, we can present that. Plus that help helps me weed out, uh, hey, why is all this, what, what is all this check fraud, dude? You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't have you on my team like that. You know, I can't have a team, I have a team that's got warrants out for them, you know, or somebody who's stolen or, or, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Or worse, like like you said, uh, it's a fucking pedophile. But yeah. it, anyway, um, so yeah, I would make sure, and that's what I alluded to earlier, that I don't think teams do that. But I do want to say, you know, you said there isn't anything to really regulate this. It, I guess, you know, speaking of in terms of law, no, you're right. But there is in a way, the, every group's got a leader. You know what I'm saying? The person who put the team together, the person who acts as the point of contact, the person that is the fucking leader of the group. Okay. Mm -hmm. Every group's got one. It is their responsibility. If you are assembling a team and you don't background check these folks and it turns out homeboy here raped some girl or or whatever, that is a direct reflection of you. Okay. That, That hurts your entire team. Nobody is going to want you in their house, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, it, it, and I've heard a lot of horror stories from clients, from people saying, oh, we let this one team in here. And then all of a sudden my jewelry went missing. 
Yep, I've heard that too. You know? I've heard that too. And it, it just doesn't reflect on your team. It makes the entire um, paranormal community, we'll use for a lack of a better term, it makes us all look bad. Mm-hmm. Because people are going to think like, you know, hey, Rick is, you know, he's got some sketchy shit in his past. Steven's got some sketchy shit in his past. That means everybody must have some sketchy shit in their past. I mean, not quite as sketchy as this individual here from Scotland, but um, yeah, you do have people that I, I've, I've heard from clients and I've actually had to clean up a few messes. Um, people showing up to investigations or even you know public events, either drunk or high as a fucking kite, man. Like, I don't know about you, Steven. I personally don't care if people smoke weed or drink. I, I, I like to have the occasional drink. Don't smoke weed because it actually makes me sick. Like I, was, I smoked it when I was going through chemotherapy. And for some reason, it, my body chemistry just is not very good with it. But it's like, if you're going to call yourself an investigator and go into people's homes, man, be sober. Be sober, be vigilant, be watchful, and always be respectful, not just of your client, but also of the dead that are, you know, allegedly habitating the house. Yeah. And and you got to watch out for those investigators that try to find an excuse to justify why they are drinking or why they are smoking. I watched this video. I'm not going to mention the team. They're no longer in existence anymore. Um, I, I can mention the name of the guy to you off air. You probably would remember the name real shady dude to begin with. And, uh, I watched a video he, he kind of was one of the first that kind of popped out shortly after Monster Vision did, trying to okay. do his own kind of version of it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I watched this video of him sitting in a, in a person's living room and with his team, and he goes, you know, we're not getting any activity. Did you smoke? Let's see if you smoked. So he lit a cigarette in this client's house, And and you know, it was only because he wanted a cigarette. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It had nothing to do with the case or anything like that, because I do think there's a fine line and some exceptions to that. And and we'll we'll talk about that. But um, it's purposely, dude, you smoked in this client's house, you know, that you did not ask them about that. You know, you just found an excuse to do it and made it justifiable saying it had something to do with the case. Now, smoking's one thing, but dude, I, I remember I had to dismiss this woman. Um, we were doing an event at the web library. It was a really cool event we used to do for teenagers. It was, it was called teen night. And, and you know, my, my head investigator, Alan would do a little presentation. I do a presentation and then we would split up into groups and let these curious teenagers with their parents uh, follow us along and see what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, the web library is a benign place. You know, we wanted them to experience something and learn from people who actually do this all the time. Sure. Well, there was a woman who wanted in on the team and she was not even remotely close to us, but she said she was going to drive and meet us to help out with this event. So we met her at a Hardy's. I kid you not. She gets out of the vehicle. She's wearing flip flop flip flops first off. And I'm thinking, well, that's not happening. 
you know, like yeah. we need to hear flip flop, flip flop, flip flop, you know, going through the whole building. And well, not only that, dude, I mean, wearing something like flip flops, you could, you know, stub your foot, break right. your foot, drop something on it, whatever. But yeah, go ahead. Well, I immediately, you know, she gives me a hug. Hey, nice to meet you. You know, blah, blah, big fan, that kind of thing. And uh, I immediately smell alcohol. And uh, I said, have you been drinking? And she said, yeah, but I'm done. I'll be sober by the time that. Uh... So so here she's driving drunk. Right. Well, then she hears one of my investigators say, man, I got such a headache. She goes, hold on. She reaches into her truck, pulls out this purse. student had about every pill imaginable. And we're not just talking like Advil or Tylenol, right, right. right. Okay. We're talking Percocet, Darvocet, all that kind of shit. Wow. And uh, I was like, look, I'm not going to say her name. I said, you can't come with us. We're, we, we are about to do a presentation in front of parents and teenagers. That yeah. I, I'm sorry, you can't. And she got pissed. She got pissed and squealed the wheels out of there. But it's like, what are you oh, well. fucking thinking? You, this isn't for fun. You know, this isn't a party. Now, there are ghost hunters that that's all it is for them. They're thrill seekers, partiers, whatever. Yeah. You're going to take them seriously? No, we're not. But, man, it's all about your rep. It just takes one time. And with the way the fucking internet is, dude, that can destroy your credibility in a day. Oh, yeah. And it really does seem like there are some investigators who they just really don't give a shit at all. Like, they, you know, it's it's like it's all about them. It's all about their... Um, their quest to become the next big paranormal thing. Like the gentleman who, you know, lights up a cigarette in a person's home or the person that, you know, comes and, you know, does, um, there is, a, I will, I will tell you this much. I'm not going to say their name, but there is a very popular author and paranormal investigator in, in the Chicagoland area who has a history of showing up drunk. Mm -hmm. And that just, that makes the rest of us look bad, just yeah. bad. Like why, why, why would I want to go to one of your events or hear you speak when you're going to be toasted? It's, that makes no sense to me. Well, with that being said, like I kind of hinted around to earlier, are there exceptions? And, and, and I think there are, but okay. you still have to be professional about it. Sure. And, I, and I'll tell you a really quick story. We were investigating for years, you know, we, you know, more than anybody, we investigate, you know, the same locations over and over and over again. Well, this place was a restaurant, also had uh, a hotel on site and an inn, whatever you want to call it. And uh, anyways, the, the ghost there was a known alcoholic, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so we weren't getting a lot, weren't getting a lot. And uh, the owner actually brought it up the new owner said well maybe you aren't hitting those right triggers and i go well what was his favorite drink and she said you would see him sitting over there with whiskey every day yeah all day long okay and uh she said if you think that'll do something i, I don't mind so she gave us permission and and i took a couple shot glasses and her whiskey because this was a restaurant bar all that it was her idea Mm -hmm. and and poured a couple shots did i take a shot yes i did but the moment we did that bam evp that said whiskey bam lights flicking and blah blah that was the way it but 
that was done with moderation right and done under the permission of the owner but hold on a second was anybody actually drinking the whiskey i did i took one shot like here's a shot for you i'm not gonna say the uh the person's name here's a shot for you here's a shot for me all right you know and it was shortly after that we hear whiskey like whispered spoken out loud and it caught uh-huh. you know we caught it on our cameras i had to dig that up one day yeah i would and, like to see that and and then you know other things started happening so that was the trigger and that that worked now did i keep drinking no you know it was like okay we've got got our in you know let's let's go with it but again, that was permission of the client. That's not sneaking liquor bottles, you know, in, in your equipment cases, you know, and, and getting toasted at any said investigation. That is just, that has ruined it for a lot of people. Like, uh, damn, Fort, uh, I can't remember the name of it. There, there was a fort here in North Carolina that was very open to paranormal investigating. And one team gets in there partied the entire night they left their trash their beer bottles their beer cans roaches from weed you know and and they shut it down they said no more teams after that well i had i had i experienced something like that as well i went to um old south Pittsburgh hospital back in 2013 i had an event one of the very few that I, i will ever actually do and um the the caretakers of the place were telling us about a paranormal team that they had in there. They were playing um, like tackle football on, on the floors and they were like, you know, breaking stuff and knocking stuff over. And um, you know, again, that just makes the rest of us look bad. Fortunately though, that didn't shut these people off from, you know, allowing other teams and stuff like that in there. But, you know, so, but do be careful who you let in your home. However, let's go to the other side of the coin briefly, Stephen. Not only do you have, not only do you as the client have to be careful who you let into your home, you as the investigator need to be careful about whose home you go into. And there are some dangerous situations um, that, that, you know, you, you can find yourself in. Uh, Before I get to mine, you know, Stephen, do you have any that you need to share? Yeah, you know, actually a couple real quick things. Um, There was a guy in Wilmington for years. He used to set up paranormal teams to prove that they were faking shit. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a haunted house, but he told them it was haunted. And then these teams would investigate. These teams would investigate Mm -hmm. and say they got this, they got this EVP, they got this, blah, blah. And it was all bullshit. And then this guy would out them. So be honest, guys, don't go in there making up stuff because not every client is, is on your side, right? They're out to prove you wrong. Now I I do want to tell this story real quick um, because it it really, it made me smile when you said that this could work the other way around. You have to be careful of the clients. And I, I, I was doing an event one time and somebody asked me, you know, if I get scared, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I tell them, you know, I'm very desensitized at this point. There, you know, there really isn't anything real life shit. It bothers me more. You know, I said, but what scares me is the possibility of the wrong client inviting us in. Right. And 
it gave me this idea and I've actually, I'm actually about halfway through my, it's a fiction book, but based on reality, I'm called the producer Mm -hmm. and it's loosely based on myself producing monster vision TV and needing locations to film at, you know, like any TV show. Well, Mm -hmm. a client comes along, makes the phone call, tells us he wants us to investigate his plantation, you know, and he's not going to be there keys underneath the rug that kind of situation you get in there and you come to find out that this guy's a serial killer oh now what does (laughs) what does every serial killer need anonymity Uh, and a victims anonymity okay confidentiality and what does paranormal teams offer their own film crew Okay, yeah. it's gonna film it all happening. All right, the the confidentiality, because nobody knew where my teams were going until after the fact. Sure, you know, so we didn't get people outside messing around. You know, so you go to this house, nobody knows you're there. Okay, and mm-hmm. this guy's picking you off one by one, <laughs> and like let's say I'm walking through this hall and I'm hearing like. man you guys hear that it's like knocking when really it's just him killing one of my investigators but the whole time we're thinking it's a damn ghost we don't even Mm -hmm. know the client's there and he's and and he's getting his own little and and of course he kills everybody and he takes Mm -hmm. everybody's tapes and recordings makes his own little movie and sends it to the fbi and then he does it over and over and over again targeting paranormal teams I would read that. And if that were made into a movie, I would watch that. I I don't really like slasher movies, but definitely I would watch that. Yeah, because the one scene, man, really gets to you. Like with the Cody character, he walks Mm -hmm. into this room and falls through the floor. And he falls into a tank of water that's built into the floor. And the floor comes back over top of it. So he's underneath the floor hitting it because he's drowning in water. Meanwhile, the other investigators who are all split up, they're just hearing this knocking, thinking it's a response to their (laughs) research. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, poor Cody's drowning underneath the floor. Damn. These are the things you all need to watch out for. (laughs) You need to do just as much research on your client as they should be doing on you. Well, you know, as they oftentimes say that reality is much more horrifying than fiction. Um, I've actually been in homes where there were weapons that were found. I'm talking, I'm talking like guns um, were left out in the open, drugs left out in the open. There was one case that I worked when I worked with a larger group where we suspected child molestation and abuse that the leader of the group actually did go to the police. He was a former cop himself and did go to the police and was like, Hey, look, we're suspecting that this kind of thing is going on. Um, so, you know, dealt with that, never heard from the people ever again, but yeah, folks, I mean, really you, if you're a client, be careful who you let in your home. If you're an investigator, make sure that the people that you're the home you're going into aren't serial killers or drug Lords, or, you know, have weaponry laying out or, you know, even just child and spouse abusers, you got to be careful, man, because we are dealing, we are in a very 
people heavy, people orientated field. Yeah. I, I I've never really had that kind of situation. Like I described from the book I'm writing, mm-hmm. but well, I can, obviously I can remember, still here. Right. I can remember, <laughs> or am I, I, I can remember, um, me and Ryan, we were investigating uh, Pugin's Porch Restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina. Across mm-hmm. from Pugin's Porch Restaurant is uh, a, the hotel we were staying in. You couldn't ask for a better situation. And the main reason we stayed at that hotel was because police reports have come from the hotel claiming to see this woman walking through the restaurant after hours. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, we'll request a room on that side set a camera up on the balcony that's constantly monitoring the exterior, you know, well, we're finishing up now where this place sits, the next street over ghetto town, son. Okay. Mm -hmm. Ghetto town. There is no nice way to say it. All right. That's where the shit goes down. Okay. So we're coming out of Pugin's porch restaurant about four 30 in the fucking morning, tired, we got to all we got to do is cross the street and walk through the door of the hotel. We start crossing the street and way down the road, we hear this guy. Hey, hey. Hey, well, hey, hold up. Hold up. What y'all doing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, Ryan, just keep fucking walking. This cannot be fucking good. Not at 430 yeah. in the fucking morning. Well, the guy starts running towards us. Now, I, I carried a pistol on me at all times. Mm-hmm. Um. I, so I was kind of felt a little bit secure, you know, right. I don't, I don't carry, I, I don't carry a pistol. I have flying fists of fury of death. All right. So back to reality. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Ryan starts walking and I'm like, hold up. I said, Ryan hit record on one of your cameras. You know, this guy gets up to us looking like a total meth head. I mean, total mm-hmm. meth head, man, crackhead, whatever. And he's like, Hey, did y'all just come out of there, y'all ghost hunters or something? And, you know, me being me, I, I was like, nah, man, we just robbed the place. I mean, that's why we're in all black and got all these cameras <laughs> and all this other shit. And we film ourselves doing it because we turn ourselves in. And he's like, well, uh, you guys got any money? And we're like, nah, man. And about that point, we start, like, walking towards the hotel door. He's like, come mm-hmm. on, man. I know y'all got some money. And we're like, nah, we left it all up in the hotel. We'll go in there and get it. Uh, and he starts getting a little more forceful. Yeah. And, and then he says, I got a gun. And I said, and at this point, Ryan's a good 10 feet from me, man. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> right. Ryan the boy he, left you alone. He to did. deal with this crackhead. He did. he did. And I said, so do I. And I turned my back and just walked towards that door. And the guy just stood there. And by the time we get up to our room and we're looking down, he's, he, we can see him just trailing off in the distance. But luck that could have turned bad. That yeah. could have turned bad. He threatened us ugly. with a gun. He was very passive aggressive about it. But you don't you don't tell somebody you got a gun unless it's being used as a threat. Sure. Or it's actually being used. <laughs> right. But uh, so uh, the long and short of it is, folks, be careful about who you let in. If you're an investigator, be careful about whose house you go into. So. Um, with that all being said, I think it's time for a little news of the weird, Steve. Yes, my favorite. Yes, yes, your favorite. So here at the Shadow Initiative, Paranormal Talking TV, we like to showcase those news stories that, well, they just really don't get the fair shake that they deserve in the mainstream media. 
Here's three of them. And so we're going to lead with a story that is that, that I like to call um, kids, kids just say the damnedest things. So here we go. Prince George, Stephen, this is the son of Prince William, who is going to be the next king of England after his dad kicks it. So according to this article, he's actually put his classmates on notice. If you fuck with me, my dad's going to get you. <laughs> and so I don't know what he has planned, you know, maybe lopping off a few heads, but who knows? So Prince George warned classmates that they better watch out as his dad will one day be king. I, I mean, how, how do you, how do you deal with something like this? So here we I go. I love it. I love it. Oh, I, totally. Prince George is said to have warned his classmates they better watch out as his dad will one day be king. A book on the royal family says the cheeky remark was made by the nine-year-old when he sparred with other pupils. Author Katie Nichols said about the eldest son of the parents of three, the prince and princess of Wales, in her new tome, The New Royals, George understands he will one day be king, and as a little boy, sparred with friends at school, outdoing his peers with the killer line, my dad will be king, so you better watch out. Katie added, George was being raised alongside his sister, Princess Charlotte, seven, and Prince Louis, four, to have a sense of duty. Uh, she said about his parents, they are raising their children, particularly Prince George, with an awareness of who he is and the role he will inherit. But they are keen not to weigh them down with a sense of duty. So I'm not even going to read the rest of the article because there really isn't too much left to it. It's one of those really nice and short ones. But here you have a kid, right? Like this kid knows who he is, knows who his dad is. I'm sure that Theo isn't over in school right now. It's like, hey, you better look out because my ghost hunting dad is going to get you if you Dude, fuck around. Absolutely. We've all done it. My dad can beat your dad's ass. Dude, oh, yeah. Every kid's done that. You know, I hope my grandson, I hope, you know, he's in school now, Tanner. I sure, hope sure. he's telling people, my papa, let me tell you about my papa. I hope he is. I don't need to but be king. You, you got to wonder something. Who are the other classmates? I, this this kid is like you got Prince Charles, Prince William, and then he is the next one in line. So this kid will probably be king in the next 30 or 40 years, more than likely if they still do this kind of thing. So it's like, how, how does he think that he's going to you know enforce this? Hey, if you take take my lunch money, my dad's going to one day lop off your head, or he's going to imprison all your family in the Tower of London. So it's like, uh, you know what, Stephen, and I don't care if I start an international incident with what I'm about to say. This kid's a brat. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> straight I mean, up on. brat, man. Come straight on. up, straight up brat to say anything like this. Um, so yeah, so hey, you know, you've been put on notice, classmates of, you know, the of this uh, little Lord Fauntleroy here. So look out, because his daddy will one day get you. I'm picturing this kid looking like Malfoy off of Harry Potter. <laughs> Potter. <laughs> My dad's the king. 
My daddy will one day get you. He will one day lap off your head or imprison you in the Tower of London. So it's horrible, horrible British accent. So I apologize yeah, to easy there, all of Draco. my English friends. Yeah. So staying in England. Now, this is one that I put in here because, man, I read it and it just pissed me off to no end. I mean, I don't know. So we go from a bratty English kid to a to a, just a monstrous British adult. So dig this, Stephen. I'm digging. Cancer charity boss put donations into the Dragon Plan. So a cancer charity boss who put public donations into plans to build a giant Welsh dragon has been offered by the high court to pay more than 117,000 pounds, which is like roughly $150,000, I believe, to a local cancer causes. Uh, Simon Wingett's foundation ran a shop in Wrexham Mailer Hospital, but not one donation was made by the time it closed in 2019 and the dragon was never built. Mr. Wingett invested 410,000 pounds of the charity's earnings into a project for the 210-foot sculpture in Chirk, Wrexham. The bronze dragon had planning permission to be erected by a former colliery site near the A5. He had long claimed it would become a tourist attraction to rival well-known landmarks as the Angel of the North. His charity, Frank Wingett Cancer Re Relief, was set up by his father to buy equipment and resources for cancer patients in Wrexham and the surrounding area after he was diagnosed with throat cancer in the 1980s. All I could say about that is, what an asshole. Am I right? Oh, yeah. He'll, yeah. Yeah. He'll get his. I, I hope he does. I, I can't, you know, as a person who has, you know, survived it, um, it, it's when I read stuff like this, it, I was so angry that I was like seeing red. I'm like, you are defrauding. Not only are you defrauding a charity, which is a horrible thing to do it, you know, in and of itself, but you're defrauding a charity that's supposed to be, uh, giving aid and comfort to cancer patients. Well, how about relating that to the paranormal, Rick? I mean, look at how many times these para-celebs or whatever you want to call these douchebags um, have ripped people off, keeping yeah. money for from tickets to events that never happened. You know, mm -hmm. they say, "Give me fifty dollars, and I'll tell you, you know, what to expect in life." You know, blah, dude. It's 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 awful, man. It's, it's it awful. is awful. It's awful. Yeah. That, that, that reminds me of something that I shared with you uh, not too long ago, a certain um, uh, female famous paranormal investigator who's been on, who's done plenty of television. She's actually charging people $300 to have like online zoom meetings with her where she's going to tell you all about the paranormal. Yeah. Now, hey. now Steven, I just want to say this, you and I could do the same thing. And charge like 50 cents and you'll get better advice. Oh, instantly. But, you know, you even had these, we, we talk about it all the time. The, the very predictable steps that these former paranormal people take, you know, it, it starts out with a, Oh, I got fired from the show. It's all fake. I was the only one that was really, really doing anything. Then, then they start a YouTube thinking they're more mm -hmm. famous than what they are. 
and mm-hmm. they realize they're not and their mm-hmm. youtube doesn't do shit then all yeah. of a sudden they've got cancer have you seen this no yes there have been i can think of two from very popular paranormal shows came out said they got cancer the one girl in particular was taking donations all this shit now my good friend who was on the same show with her was at a bar and saw this former castmate dancing and doing karaoke and she filmed it because she was telling everybody that she was like on her last leg but here mm-hmm. she's at a bar partying probably with the money people gave her and and that video helped pretty much destroy her which she needed to be destroyed but it's you need like, to tell me who this on. person is i, I will yeah. i will yeah you you know the name you definitely i'm do. sure i do so but yeah so you know this this is just you know a monstrous individual and i hope i really honestly hope that he spends a, a good amount of time in prison so we had that sandwiched in between two really really great ones now steven this next story is the one I know you're looking forward to because I know how much you love it. So this is great. Um, okay. So customer says tattoo artist. How can I put this delicately? Uh, you know what? I'm just going to go for it, dude. Customer says tattoo artist went down on her during appointment sparking debate. Now, I wish I could show you, but Jamie is sitting across from me right now. <laughs> laughing <laughs> because I, she honestly can't believe this. Sh- she doesn't believe the shit we talk about on a weekly basis on this show, but yes. So this tattoo artist is, has been known to give people um, a happy ending. And this one in particular is great because she talked about it on her TikTok. So let's see, let's go. A TikToker recently claimed that a tattoo artist she booked went down on her mid appointment And guess what? She was into it. She digged it, man. She loved it. She was a fan of it. The video posted by user uh, Cecilia666, or pronounced Sissy, has more than 9 million views and 13,000 comments. Captioned, hashtag, fantasy fulfilled. The text overlay on her TikTok reads, me, every time I remind my tattoo artist went down on me mid tattoo uh here we go here we go sissy is wiping down the mirror in what appears to be a bathroom while recording the video as she remembers the incident with the artist however she stops wiping the mirror and covers her mouth with her hand sissy doesn't elaborate on where the tattoo artist is located or when the appointment actually took place Um, In a pinned comment to the video, however, she writes that the sexual encounter was consensual. So it was like, you know, she was cool with it. It's not like it was, you know, um, a sexual assault. Um, And that she took the story time. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. In a pinned comment to the video, however, she writes that the sexual encounter was consensual and that she took the story time down because people were saying I was assaulted and I don't want the artist to get in trouble. So I'm going to leave it right there. So this is remarkable. And it actually answers a question for me. Do happy endings actually happen? And apparently it does. Like this guy is, is given a, ta- he's, he's doing his work, given a tattoo. And she's just like, okay, go for it, dude. 
I, this is, it, it's not even shocking. Any, this kind of thing isn't even shocking anymore, but uh, yeah, you know, um, Steven, your take. I'm all for it. I'm I all for it. thought you might be. I, I don't see a problem in it. If it's consensual, no damn issue. The girl's mm-hmm. paying for the tattoo. You see? And so you can't be charged with prostitution, you know, because she's paying right. for the tattoo. She wasn't paying for that. That was just like a bonus. I. This is that's that's it. That's it. That is fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean that is remarkable. I mean, hey, man, if she's into it, and it, and obviously it's not a sexual assault, then who are we to say, wow, hey, that's it, just wrong? You shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. It's like all the massage parlors in Myrtle Beach. Everybody mm-hmm. knows about them. You're not just going there to get a massage, buddy. Oh, they do happy endings there? Oh, yeah, they do. Okay. Yeah, they do. All yeah, right. They do. So, hey, she never she never really specifies who the tattoo artist is or which is where shame. he's at. Which is a shame. Which is a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. I would support but, this um, establishment. <laughs> I'm sure you probably would. So, with that being said. That I would is, now. Hold up oh, now. Okay. Now, I would here, make sure. Here it comes, folks. That there were some women tattoo artists working there. Uh-huh. I don't want to mislead our audience. Okay. Not that there's okay. anything wrong with that. It's just not for me. But yeah, Chip, there you have it. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> so that's three stories. We got a Brady Royal talking about that. One, one day that he, his daddy is going to lop off some heads. Uh, we got a cancer charity person who is just an absolute fucking monster and then we have the happy ending giving tattoo artist. So that, my friends, was this week's News of the Weird. Excellent. Excellent. So, Stephen, where are we going from here? I say it's time to wipe up the drool and talk about Creature of the Week. Creature of the Week. Now, this is a cool one, man. So, hey, Stephen, according to science, dinosaurs died out. 65 million years ago, you know, and some change, give or take a few million years here, here or there, but down in the Australian outback. Now let's talk about the Australian outback. Like I know plenty of Australian people from Australia, and they will tell you that there is pretty much every animal that's on their island continent could kill you. Could put that could poison you in some way or eat you in some way. But this one is really interesting. Even like, in the water. <laughs> even yeah, even in the water. This one is really interesting. According to some people in the outback, and even the people who, you know, live in the cities, a living dinosaur hunts in the outback of Australia. This is amazing. And they call this the Berenger. The Berenger. Now, this is a you know a a, a traditional um, in, uh, um, name of you know given by the indigenous people to this animal. So, the Australian dinosaur cryptid that resembles the theropod dinosaur T. Rex, but maybe a descendant of Megaraptoids like Australia Venator, Megaraptor, or Raptor. But it could also be a dinosaur that has far you know, has not appeared in the fossil record. The Berenger is described as being a giant lizard according to Aboriginal mythology. Based on sightings, it is 20 to 25 feet long, has small clawed hands, and is bipedal in nature. 
Throughout the 1950s, Australian cattle ranchers reported a large creature leaving bipedal tracks was eating their livestock. Also, earlier, Aboriginal accounts suggest that a reptilian animal, possibly with feathers, whose diet consisted of kangaroos and other large animals. It was, if it was not for the bipedal footprint findings, the Burringer would have been mistaken for a megalania, a prehistoric giant monitor lizard that lived in the area more recently based on Aboriginal descriptions. Now, this is not just some you know, creature that has you know, been seen once. No, this is a cryptid that has been seen numerous times and goes all the way back in the mythology and the legends of the uh, indigenous people of Australia, or as they you know, more commonly call them, the Aborigines. Um, it has been cited numerous times. Um, 1985, a family traveling to Roper River, um, they reported seeing a 20-foot-long monster covered in feathers. Another report tells of a man named Brian Clark who went into the woods and got lost sometime during 1978. After the alarm was raised, he was tracked by policemen and two Aboriginal bushmen. The trackers woke up one night to a loud, thunderous sound and the ground shaking. After finding the wayward traveler, policemen later told the man that if he ever went back into the woods and got lost, that they would not come looking for him. Like, these are cops, man. Some think the sound was the stomping of the Burringer. However, a light-footed theropod dinosaur would not crash around in the undergrowth in this manner. So, you know, the outback of Australia is vast. Like, uh, I've, I've never been to Australia, but I know plenty of people who have been to Australia. And all of the cities and larger towns are based around the coast, either the east coast or the west coast of Australia to the north and to the south. All the cities and big towns are based there. But the outback is vast. It's enormous. It could very easily hide um, some kind of strange animal that is yet unknown to science. You know, Stephen, what do you think of this? Are you think that they're dealing with an actual living dinosaur? Somehow I doubt that. Um, or do you think they're dealing with just some kind of animal that is, has, you know, isn't known by science just yet? It could be. I mean, they they discover new species every day. I mean, that's right. literally the truth. You know, I've always referred to Australia, the Australia. Uh, I've always <laughs> referred to Australia as the hot Antarctica. Mm -hmm. You know, because both both continents, there's so much untapped area. I mean, it's crazy to think that in 2022, we as human beings, there are still so many areas in this on this planet that we've never stepped foot right so many caves we've never walked in so many forests we've never walked through icy well, we mountain know, caps you know yeah i mean well if you know according to science and this is a true fact we know more about the surface of mars and the moon than we know about our own oceans ladies and gentlemen that is a true fact as opposed to the false facts Wait, facts, facts are facts, buddy. <laughs> you don't have to say it's a true fact. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. <laughs> anyway, he's a writer. He's an author. He's got a new book coming out called Ghost Watch. That's Thank a fact. That. That's a That's true a fact. fact. Yep. It's a true fact. Anyway. So, but, you know, what are those big ass fucking. Um, the Gila monsters. 
Kilo monster. Yeah, I mean, those have been mistaken. Those have some 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 of those have grown abnormally big, bigger than what they're supposed to. You know, sure. I mean, it's it's very possible it's something that already exists, just maybe a fluke in that one, a mutation mm-hmm. in that one. Um, right. But again, we're talking about discovering species every day in these areas that man has never stepped foot. It's very possible there. I mean, it is possible that there mm-hmm. are things we just haven't discovered yet. Now, is it true? Who who knows? You know, these how these stories kind of snowball, you know, mm-hmm. like anything else. But that's a place I would believe something like that happening. Yeah. Because there's so much untapped area. Right. I, I, I think the outback of Australia is vast. But here's one of the interesting things, though. The way that it's been described. Because we're just now understanding that certain species of dinosaurs may, in fact, have feathers. Right, right, uh, they, right, right. Yeah, they like the 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 raptor type dinosaurs, you know, the Velociraptor, and they even think that the uh, T. Rex may have had um, feathers. So it's really interesting that this is even before they even before scientists started saying that about dinosaurs, people were seeing this animal and be like, it looked like a giant lizard, but it also had feathers. Mm -hmm. So that kind of lends a little bit more credibility to these sightings. Yeah, I agree. I I agree. I mean, it's, it's kind of known now that, that dinosaurs evolved into birds. Well, I can, I can look out in my backyard right now. We have uh, 13 or 14 chickens out there and it's really sad to think that that their ancestors were the mighty T-Rex. Hey, I'm glad it happened that way because I love chicken. Yeah, man. I need my buffalo wings, man. I don't want some buffalo raptor. Okay, I'm not eating something scaly. They may have been delicious. We don't know. They might have. You know, I have eaten alligator. I'm assuming it probably tastes very similar. Mm, Gator tastes delicious. I've eaten frog, but frog tastes like chicken. Mm Mm-hmm. Coincidence? Everything tastes like chicken because that's how we've been conditioned to say, oh, yeah, it tastes like chicken. No, dude, I'm not. Uh, frog legs taste exactly like chicken. Oh, it's not like about frog. Le- you got Kermit the Frog right behind you, dude. How could you be talking about frog legs in front of Kermit? Hey, he'll tell you more than anybody. It's not easy being green. Yep. He's got your rainbow connection right here. <laughs> He's like, yeah, suck it, Lancaster. So yeah, I mean, is there is there a possibility that there is a living dinosaur in the outback of Australia? Probably not. Is there an animal that is yet unknown to science? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Cool creature of the week, man. That's one we've never touched base on. Yeah, that's one of those lesser known ones that not too many people really hear about mm-hmm. uh, too much. But you know, going through the internet, I'm like, I, we got to talk about the Beringer, man. Like I yeah, love the Beringer. Awesome, awesome find, man. So we're at that time of the show. Like Rick stated earlier, he's got a new book coming out at the end of this month called Ghost Watch. He does a segment every episode, uh, which is a different ghost story. It's fantastic. It's like our own little midnight club, which is a fantastic show for those of you out there. I have not seen it yet. I got about halfway through the first episode and I gave up on it. I was like, man, this is, this was kind of misleading. Mm-hmm. But then I saw it was Mike Flanagan, the same guy who did Midnight Mass, The Haunting of Hill House, that whole series. I'm like, mm-hmm. let me give this a chance again. Now I'm into like episode five and me and me and my wife are just 
dude, this is awesome. It, it's it's got that I, I, early '90s kind of ghost storytelling feel to it, uh, with but with gore and horror. It's and it's so cool how they they. I think you'd appreciate it, Rick, because what 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 the premise of it is, okay, is uh. That's something we don't do often on this show is talk about the movies and stuff that we watch. But sure, um, like last year, we did our our favorite horror movies, which I'm sure we'll do again for Halloween. Mm -hmm. Um, But the premise is uh, it starts out with this girl, everything going for her in life, college, everything. Then she finds out she's got cancer. Oh, no. And she gets the bad news that she's only got a year to live. Well, she mm-hmm. has yet to experience like being out in college and, you know, these things that we all t- took for granted. And so she finds this hospice, this gorgeous mansion. OK, and it's specifically for teenagers who are basically walking the green mile. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They've got yeah. six months, a year to live and they all live there. The doctor is Heather Langdenkamp. Who played Nancy on right. Elm Street? She's yeah, the doctor. Yeah. Okay. So when it gets into it, all the kids or teenagers meet in this room at midnight every night, and they're called the Midnight Club. And they each take turns telling a ghost story that uses them as characters in the story. Mm-hmm. And it's really fucking good because there's that shadow, that cloud of death. That they're all on borrowed time and they're making the best of life and their sh- and their own like anxieties and fears are 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 coming out in the stories that they tell. It's mm-hmm. it's really, really good, man. I'll have to check that out. So but, yeah, the last what? I was what just gonna, gonna I was just gonna say something else that's really good is Ghost Watch. Since we were going no. into Ghost Watch. Yes, thank you. So for the last five episodes, we have been talking about the uh, brilliant um, King of the Ghost Hunters, Peter Underwood and his investigations. I wrote them all, I wrote five of them. It was a series that I wrote for Spooky Isles, but with now I decided to bring it home right into my own backyard here in the Chicagoland area to Chicago's neighborhood of terror. That's right, an entire neighborhood in Chicago is haunted. I'm Raquel, and this is Ghostwatch. Children who grew up in the far northwest neighborhoods of Chicago would often be heard singing, Dunning, Dunning, open your gates, here comes Johnny on roller skates. This peculiar rhyme illustrated a much feared area of Chicago along Irving Park Road, an area of the city that terrified citizens of the Windy City for well over a century. To many, the neighborhood now known as Dunning was a nightmare just waiting to happen. During the 21st, Dunning in the 21st century is a pleasant middle-class neighborhood known for quaint houses, well-manicured lawns, and friendly people. Although Dunning is part of Chicago, it has a suburban feel to it the other neighborhoods just don't have. This has not always been the case. In the mid-19th century, the remote area of Cook County appeared to be the perfect place to set up a poor farm. There, the poor of the quickly expanding city could be put in an honest day's work. The county purchased 160 acres from Peter Ludby, the man who farmed the land since 1939, and opened the poor farm. 
As time went on, the poor farm began attracting people who clearly suffered from significant mental health problems. The farm was then closed and the Cook County Insane Asylum was opened. To help manage the growing population, two additional buildings were added and the hospital could now accommodate over a thousand patients. The latter two decades of the 19th century, the Dunning area remained sparsely populated. Few people didn't think moving their families near an insane asylum was such a great idea. All that changed in 1916 when the Shork Brothers Real Estate bought several acres of land west of Irving Park Road. They named the neighborhood West Portage Park and claimed the area was safe despite the asylum. The brothers' efforts resulted in a huge housing boom. People may have moved to the area, but the fear of patients escaping the asylum haunted the residents of the newly established community. The anxiety was very real, and the people worried the insane patients would escape and murder their family. Two dramatic incidences didn't help those fears. In fact, they made matters worse. In 1912 and 1923, fires broke out causing extensive damage to two of the buildings. In the resulting chaos, several patients did escape and caused some minor problems. Citizens of the neighborhood and the rest of Chicago began to see the asylum as more trouble than it was worth. By the 1970s, the old state hospital was falling into shambles and half the buildings were torn down. In its place, the Chicago Red Mental Health Facility was built with a safer, more secure facility in place. Dunning experienced another housing boom, and that's when things started to get kind of weird. While breaking ground for a new shopping mall and condominium complex in 1989, which I've actually been to a few times, construction crews made a grisly discovery. The mortal remains of hundreds of people were inadvertently dug up. The crew and developers had no idea where they were building was once the graveyard of the poor farm residents, as well as the patients of the old asylum. It wasn't uncommon for bones to be seen flying through the air as the crews worked. One body that was discovered was so well-preserved, you could make out the handlebar mustache and sideburns that were fashionable among men in the 1880s. Several concerned community members and a local pastor came together to hold a memorial service for these poor forgotten people. And in its place, a memorial in the Red Dunning Memorial Park was established to remember those who died. The community hoped the service would give peace to these long-departed people. Unfortunately, they were wrong because Dunning is very haunted. Wright Community College appears to get a disproportionate amount of the paranormal activity that happens in the neighborhood. Following its move into a new facility shaped like a pyramid, the overnight cleaning staff were the first to report the ghostly activity. Among the mostly immigrant night custodial staff, tales of encounters with ghosts are heard in hushed conversations. Some of the activity includes lights mysteriously turning on and off and slamming doors are heard when the college is quiet. A few employees have further reported witnessing full-bodied apparitions in 19th century attire walking down the darkened corridors. When staff goes to question them, they vanish from sight as soon as they turn the corner. There have been a handful of unexplained experience at the Jewel Food Store in Dunning Square Mall. Shopping carts are known to take on a life of their own as they roll down aisles as if guided by unseen person. 
Automatic doors that typically open when someone comes to enter have opened of their own accord as if someone just passed through them. Lastly, the Dunning Ward office is a third site known to have unexplained activity. The apparition of an elderly woman in a hospital gown has been witnessed by employees and visitors. She is said to give off the unpleasant feeling of sadness. By all accounts, Dunning on Chicago's northwest side is a nice place to live. That is, if you don't mind sharing it with the long-dead souls of its original inhabitants. I'm Rick Hale, and this was Ghostwatch. Pretty wild, man. Yeah, you know, um, a friend of my wife, well, a friend of, a friend of the family, she grew up in uh, the Dunning neighborhood. And she was telling me one time that she remembers hearing sirens go off that would just blare throughout the entire area, letting people know, hey, some crazy dude just escaped here. Be on the lookout. So it was a regular occurrence in this neighborhood. And this shopping mall at this jewel, um, when my dad lived in Chicago, we used to shop at this jewel in the Dunning neighborhood. So it's like, I've been to these places um, many, many times. And uh, you do kind of get this weird sense in the Dunning neighborhood that stuff does feel kind of strange. That's awesome. When you were telling the story, I, I started thinking back. I mean, and, and you may have, have, have experienced this too, that, you know, been out on certain cases and what you saw maybe out of the corner of your eye or just walked by, it was so damn vivid mm -hmm. that you literally thought there was somebody in the building or, or somebody had broken in or, or one of the clients was, you know, kind of still in the, in the whatever. Um, that's, uh, that's creepy shit. When you, it's that convincing that you don't even think it's a ghost. Mm -hmm. You think it's really a person and then you go and, and, and there's nobody there. That that's like an awesome feeling, man, at least for people like us. Yeah, I think so too. So, Hey man, great show. Another fantastic show this week. Hey, Sid, come here. Yes. So, hold on a second. Let me, let, let me, let me show you this little guy right here. So my, my wife and her sister, they are um, camping tonight mm -hmm. and we're uh, Jamie and I are going to be camping because our um, anniversary is coming up our 20th anniversary. So I get to watch this little dude hey, overnight tonight. This is awesome. Sid. Say hi, Sid. What's up, Sid? <laughs> He's let's like, back, please. Let's back let up there down. for a second. I, I just gained a new respect for your wife. 20 fucking years with Rick <laughs> Hale, man. I know. Dude, I, I gotta I gotta tell your wife, man. Look, I've been doing this for almost two years with Rick, and I was ready to get out about a month into it. <laughs> And it's like, but then you're stuck. It's like, maybe that's what she's experiencing too. She feels like she's just stuck, man. She's, you know, at, at this point, what, what else does she got? You know, it's she's like, being held against her will. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's movies like that. She is a Stockholm syndrome is Stockholm I, I, syndrome. Yes. Oh, uh, well, you know, she just might be suffering from Stockholm syndrome, but uh, yeah. So 20 years um, on the 18th for us coming up. And uh, I tell you what, man, it has been the best 20 years of my life. That's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. We've had our ups and downs. Um, but every time we've had it down, we've always come back stronger. And I love her more and more every single day. You've always been a leg up. 
Ah, is that what you did there? <laughs> because I'm missing a leg, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I wasn't going to go there, but yeah, that's fine. You know, so Rick will decide what we're going to talk about next episode. There is one thing I, I want to bring in is uh, we're going to dedicate an episode or at least half a one to the haunted Norman the doll. It is October. It's time to talk about some real scary shit. And that's a real haunted doll, Norman the doll. Guys can start Googling that now because we're going to be talking about it here in a few weeks. And Rick, (coughs) as a topic, I would also like to talk about what I refer to as the ghost made me do it. I want to talk about for a segment next next episode. Can you really use the paranormal in your defense? Oh, I'm liking that idea. So I want our listeners to ponder that question. Send us your emails to shadowinitiativetalk at gmail.com or hit us up at Facebook, facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative. Can you use the paranormal? Think about William Defoe and Amy Deville trying to use the paranormal to justify killing his entire family. Right. You know, think about when you go to court, if you've ever gone to court or gone to court, or if you've watched enough crime shows. They make you swear on the Holy Bible. Right. Well, the Bible is paranormal. So if you're, ex- manner, yeah. if you're expected to swear on something that has not been proven, can you use something that has not been proven in your defense? We're going to talk about that next we'll episode. That. Yeah. yeah and, and also, too, our Halloween show is coming up very, very soon. We need your stories. Yes, you got two we days. Want- We've got a, a handful of stories right now. Our cutoff is the 15th. So our cutoff will be Saturday. Send us your stories. You can send them directly to Rick through Facebook, me, our email, shadowinitiativetalk at gmail.com. Send us your stories. We're going to share the best ones on the air. That is right, Stephen. So, hey, man, another great show in the books, the Shadow Initiative, Paranormal Talk, and TV. So thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you so much to our community of shadows, making us a much-loved podcast. Excellent. You guys take care. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. 